We're gonna get on the bus on 14th Street going east from 9th Avenue to, I don't know how far we're gonna go. The whole loop? We'll see how long it takes, I guess. Let's let's see how much fun it is. (laughs) (laughs) The bus or the interview, that's the question. (laughs) This is the War on Cars. I'm Doug Gordon. As some listeners may know, our podcast has often tackled the way in which the media covers cycling, transit, cars, parking, livable cities, you name it. So when we started the podcast, there were two people at the top of my guest list, Pat Kiernan and Jamie Stelter. If you live in New York, then chances are you know Pat and Jamie as two of the hosts of Mornings on One on the TV news channel, New York One. Pat has been the morning anchor there since 1997, and Jamie is the traffic and transit anchor, and she's been there since 2010. If you don't live in New York and know Pat Kiernan as a real news anchor, You may know him from the Marvel movies, including The Avengers and Doctor Strange, where he performed the role he was born to play, a news anchor named Pat Kiernan. We come to you now with revelations about last week's attack in London. An anonymous source provided this video. It shows Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio, moments before his death. A warning, you may find this video disturbing. Honestly, I've been a fan of Pat's forever and a big comic book nerd, so seeing him at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home was the crossover moment I didn't know I needed. Jamie Stelter is unique in her own right, a traffic reporter who understands that her audience is perhaps more interested in hearing about subway delays than a backup on a local highway. It is 8.09. Here's Jamie with an update on the commute. Yes, two and five trains still dealing with some delays, this time on the uptown side because someone needs medical help over at Prospect Avenue. Again, two and five trains dealing with delays because of someone needing medical help over by Prospect Avenue. E-trains are back in business. When City Bike launched in 2013, she and her husband, CNN's Brian Stelter, would often post photos of themselves riding around, helping in their own way to mainstream cycling in the city. When we were figuring out when and where to do this interview, Pat had a great idea. Instead of a stuffy studio, he suggested we do it while riding on the 14th Street busway in Manhattan, which was mere months old at the time. He and I had taken it before, but Jamie was just back from her maternity leave at the time, as you'll hear. There is one thing you should know. So I talked to Pat and Jamie in early February, long before the news became dominated by the coronavirus, And basically, Aaron, Sarah, and I, we've discussed it. We're going to do an episode on the virus and its effects on driving, cycling, transit, and more on an upcoming episode. But for now, our hope is that this interview will give you some time to think about something else for about a half an hour. Thanks. Enjoy. What are your expectations for the busway, Jamie? Hopefully that the bus moves along beautifully from point A to point B. Yeah, this is good because Pat and I have both taken it, so you'll give us a very unbiased perspective, brand new perspective. I I took it on the first or second day, Doug. What did you think? It was was really, really fast. In fact, fact, all of the transit Twitter jumped on, on my video of how fast it was. Yeah. Zooming through the intersections that are normally backed up. Did you ever think you'd get love for uh, the buses fast tweet? Well, you know, it, it was, I wish I'd spent more time shooting the tweet. It was, I mean, it, was, it was literally me holding my phone up for 29 seconds out the window of the bus, and you know, a thousand retweets later. Oh, I should have, should have put more production value into no, that. No Oscar nominations for <laughs> cinematography for your tweet, I guess. 
Uh, and how do you both normally get to work? You're both up very early, so your commuting patterns are not the same as your average New York. Yeah, no, no, you're gonna you're gonna give us grief over this. We go to work at three o'clock in the morning, and we both take a cab. That's okay. It's it's early. I I, I don't judge. <laughs> I don't judge individual. Oh, you do. I believe you do judge. I believe the entire show judges. <laughs> no, I I think we all. Our perspective is it that it should be the war on cars, except at three a.m. if you're going to work sober. I think that's <laughs> I think that's a that's a violation of the character limit on Apple Podcasts, perhaps. Um, no, I mean our our whole thing is that we try not to judge individuals, right? Like if you live in Los Angeles or Atlanta chances are you need to drive to work, but if you live in New York and have a reasonable schedule and reasonable access, you probably don't need to. No, we've made a, we've made a, a generations of mistakes as a society in prioritizing cars. I don't need to tell you this, but we prioritize cars in a way that the entire country, arguably the world, is built around private automobiles, abandoning them on the side of the street and calling that parking. That is the talk of an activist, that uh, abandoning cars and calling it parking. Where do you think that attitude comes from? Uh, it's a little bit with travel to cities that don't allow street parking as a God-given right. And it's a little bit seeing what doesn't work here. The, the people circling endlessly for a parking spot. The people who are actually the ones who least need a car but have the most time to devote to complying with the arcane free parking rules. Uh, we, I mean, it's been said by others who study this academically that we have tremendously underpriced a, a public resource, this public space that is curbside parking. We've underpriced it by giving it away for free and that leads to us not making smart decisions about that space and, and what the highest public use for it would be. It's probably not so my neighbor can leave his car there for six days straight. But years of, and years of free parking leads to this sense of ownership that people have. Well, and, and, and to be fair to them, the, a lot of ways you can't get along without having the private car, so, so then it's entrenched. The Arc de Triomphe traffic circle still amazes me. That everyone still gets where they need to go <laughs> I safely? <laughs> I sat there for 10 minutes watching the cars go around that. One of the, uh, the biggest things you notice is that curb space is not entirely devoted to parking And in it Europe. makes such a difference for how beautifully bikers can move around. Yeah, well, bikers can move around. The, there's just, it just allows two-way bike lanes, wide enough bike lanes. But when people aren't one. sneaking out between parked cars to cross the street, it makes such a difference in terms of safety for everyone. Right, and then the pedestrians realize that it's a bike lane and not just more parked cars. And, and this, was, this was novel. That basically says pedestrian priority. Which <laughs> is something you would right, never no, like see you, in the You arc. can drive your truck on this road, but understand who's the boss here. Oh, the bus is here, the 14D. And the nice thing is we can get on at any door. Let's find a quiet corner. Let's go to the back. Oh. All right, now, now we're in the back of uh, the back half of the 
articulated M14 bus. I mean, already this is moving faster than any bus has ever moved on 14th Street that I've been in. Yeah, what do you think so far? I love it. Smooth, beautiful, clear ride. So, Jamie, how, how do you think your role has changed in the last 10 years? Because I feel like that has covered a lot of the changes in New York City as well. It's changed a lot. And I think that in so many ways, even just the traffic report, it used to be you were only talking to people going on the LIE every morning. How bad is the George Washington Bridge? And now subways are such a bigger part of the story. And, but also just in terms of my role in general, I feel like my own opinions have shifted so much since I had kids and I push a stroller everywhere and I push a big double stroller everywhere, not the, not the double wide in case anyone is going to hate me. <laughs> the golf umbrella the of, of strollers, right? Yeah, not that. I we, just, we've been here to witness together this city's transformation in terms of road travel into the Uber era. And that's that's when it got terrible. Yeah. Is when those hundred thousand extra vehicles arrived on the streets and were told you could make money by driving in circles until someone wants to ride with you. And it's gone from getting in a taxi being a viable way to get from A to B if you were in a hurry to just being impossible. The Midtown gridlock is every day now. It's every day. The traffic has gotten so much worse, but the next part of that equation is, okay, if you can't take a cab quickly from point A to point B like you used to, then okay, take the subway. But that's where all of like my new sensibility has come in because with a stroller, I can't just jump on any subway and go to any other subway station. I have to look and see if there's an elevator. I have to see, is the elevator working right now? I have to then, if I'm gonna take a bus, I have to make sure I have the right stroller and the least amount of gear so that I can fold everything up. Like the city just doesn't make it easy to get around where I feel like they work against me in so many ways. And I am a young, able-bodied person. And instead of making it easier for me to take all these other options, it seems like they work against me. But this is really something like the bus that we're on right now. This is a much faster bus. It's an alternative to the subway from a time perspective. So now you start to solve some other problems, right? The, if, the, if the elevators aren't working properly on the subway stations underneath us, if the bus is a viable alternative, you you don't have to go down there with the stroller if you don't want to. No, and I would love to not if I don't have to. And also 14th Street now, some of the stops have this level boarding. We're passing one right now. So you can just roll the stroller onto it from right the curb now. and then roll right onto yeah, the, like the bus. half-assed sort of level boarding piece of plastic. Right, it we is temporary do, materials for now. We can do that properly. We have to do it with, with, with like Lego. The other thing I saw a lot of in Paris is they put in these platform doors to make the station safer. This is big in Asia as well. Yeah, the the, the air train has them here. Uh, we were not riding at peak hours, so it didn't really seem necessary. But but it, it does make a big difference in the way the stations look because you have that separation from the tracks when you walk through the doors and onto it the train. It just gives a little bit of sense of a, things running a little more efficiently. 
the bad, this is your international travel coming in, right? Weren't you recently in... I was in Buenos Aires, and there these beautiful center island bus platforms, and, and two lanes of buses going westbound, and two lanes of buses going eastbound, and I mean that, I'm, I'm grateful that we've tried this, and and we're, we're proving that it's, it's an effective addition to the repertoire, but you talk to me when it goes something like that. So, Jamie, I remember when City Bike launched, uh, you and your husband Brian were kind of like the, we, we used to call you like the first couple of City Bike, because you got, used to post pictures, I think, on Instagram and Twitter of you guys rolling around. Um, that was a while ago, I think, when you first maybe started dating or got married. Yeah. Are, you, are you still biking around? How do you feel about cycling in the city? I am absolutely terrified of it, and I hate <laughs> to say that I discourage my husband from doing it also. I don't do it anymore because I just, it, there's just never a time where I'm by myself going point A to point B where I'm, I have a protected bike lane to do it in. I will not bike on a street that doesn't have a protected bike lane. I am not a confident enough cyclist. Brian is a confident enough cyclist, but not a safe enough cyclist. And wait, so, wait, 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 what does that mean by that? He's so much more daring. He'll weave in and out of traffic, and it terrifies me. He went out this past weekend when it was beautiful, and he works in Hudson Yards, and he city bike to work and he even said when he got there it was so dangerous and so frightening and he doesn't know that he'll do it again it's it feels like it's gotten worse even as they've added any bike lanes in places um do you think that rise of uber what do you think it accounts for we're still Jamie's a parent and she wasn't when city bike launched <laughs> you know everything <laughs> is a little different now right. and I'm like please don't leave me with these two children <laughs> this episode of the war on cars is brought to you by spin scooters spins director of infrastructure initiatives is Kay Chang Kay partners with local advocates and city governments on quick build street design projects to push the boundaries of what's possible on city streets we're partnering with advocacy groups across the country that have already been doing this work and trying to just push the city along to do things that they should be doing anyways. The street projects can range from a one-day pop-up of putting up physical separators for a bike lane to creating parklets that incorporate scooter parking and charging. While there's a lot of talk from mobility companies saying, oh, you know, we believe that streets are for people and should be safe, we're really thinking about taking the overall policy things that we believe in and then interpreting them into real-world projects. Spin Scooters is a proud ally in the war on cars. Learn more about the work Spin is doing to support safe, just, and livable streets at spin.app slash streets. Again, that's spin.app slash streets. As traffic has, as car traffic has gotten worse, busier, people have gotten more aggressive. I think there's also an aggression towards cyclists. I think maybe a fraction of it is deserved and most of it is not, but it's just a matter of people feeling like they own their piece of the road. And it's just not, I don't think it's safe to, to bike around the well, city. Car traffic is so bad that, that people do take 
they'll see a narrow opening and try to jump into it like somehow that's going to be the difference that gets them where they want to be on time. And uh, people still aren't conditioned to to look before they open a door. They're not we're not conditioned to live together in harmony. <laughs> we're just not. But we need to if we're going to make room for bikes, it can't be this game that, well, what if we make the lanes six inches narrower each, then we can squeeze in a, a quote-unquote protected bike lane. It's all, the, 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 the thing with 14th Street that, that makes this great is that we went all in on this. Yes, yes. No, I totally agree. It's a, it's a, we got to go in the wrong way and, and uh, I mean... <laughs> The, the wrong way cyclists or another no, thing. No, this is beautiful. We're already past Union Square on the east side. It's incredible. It's only taken, I mean, I've been, I think, I think like we're 10 minutes. 10 minutes actually yeah. on the bus. Yeah. yeah. Have you noticed now, I think, you know, a lot of advocates in the social media age are interacting more with local reporters. How has that changed your job in the last 10 years? I like it. Probably more so than 10 years ago. People acknowledge that, that all reporters on TV aren't pretending that they don't have an opinion, right? Right. right? I mean, the, in the the Walter Cronkite era, you were just the the unbiased reporter of the news. You didn't actually live among us. No, it's become socially acceptable and more acceptable just in general. I think to have a viewpoint on things. What's your viewpoint on not using headphones when you're playing music on the bus? I have this conversation with my trainer at the gym. People that don't use their headphones at the gym. It's wrong. It's Honestly. terrible. Honestly, what's it's, up with this guy? It's horrible. <laughs> Real New Yorkers on the bus here. I love it. terrible etiquette. No one wants to listen to your music. I would never assume that you want to listen to my music. For the morning trend this morning, uh, and uh, it saddens me that this is a trend, but it does seem to be a trend. The uh, the bus lane. And who's blocking the bus lane? Because the bus lanes are meant for the buses. We've been talking about this a lot because they're trying to get buses to move along faster. But what it's going to take is to enforce people who are blocking right, and the a bus lot of people, lanes. A lot of people say that the NYPD seems to, reluctant to enforce the bus lanes. Or they, don't spend, they don't put enough effort into it. Okay, so we have just passed 3rd Avenue after departing from 9th Avenue, so not bad. You know, we're approaching an election year here in New York. We're a year off of the presidential elections. How much do you think transit and transportation will play a role in the election itself and also in your coverage? I think it's going to be a huge factor. I think, I'm not sure how much of it is just in our bubble of the whole de Blasio takes a car to the gym, doesn't ride the subway. I'm not sure. Do you think people on this bus know that? I, I would hope some of them do. I <laughs> hope some of them do. I'm not sure. I, I think that they would know and appreciate someone like Corey Johnson if he comes out and makes pro-subway, pro-let's... Yeah. I, politically, though, we get everybody, even when they decide they're in the big picture and they're 
that we need to change the way cars clog every inch of pavement in the city. Then it comes down to to these crazy carve-out exceptions. Like we should have congestion pricing, but not if you're coming in to go to a doctor's appointment. <laughs> uh, <Or laughs> hate that. No, it needs to be all or nothing. I hope it's all. Can you explain that for our listeners? Why do you think it has to be all or nothing? Because I think once you get into any carve-outs, then you can make a case for so many carve-outs, whether it's doctor's appointments, whether it's someone only coming here for this, only coming here for that, or only going between point A and point B. Well, and then I you just... have the enforcement of the carve-outs and you're back into the parking placard situation. Well, yeah, I have a parking placard. I mean, technically I wasn't, I wasn't on duty right now, but I was on my way to work, so it was okay for me to park here in the bus lane for five minutes while I got a coffee because I'm headed to work. I mean, it, it's, it, as soon as, as soon as you create an opportunity to open things to interpretation, you create an opportunity for abuse. So it, it, it's just really simple. Whatever the number is, if it's five dollars to to cross the bridge and drive in Manhattan in That's the daytime, it. it's five dollars. Where do you think we're on 14th Street? Where do you think the next busways should go if you had to pick? Ooh. Oh, okay. Can you, can you 57th imagine? 57th Street? No, I, I think I think That's you. I live right no, there. No, you take. I think take one of the avenues. Can oh. you imagine? Can you imagine the, the outrage if they took Fifth Avenue and oh, made it a, a uptown downtown <laughs> Selfishly, busway? Selfishly, I was gonna say Eighth Avenue. Make it Eighth Avenue. I will take oh, that I'll, bus home. All every the way up Central there. Park West, right yeah. through. So, Jamie, you're into it because it's near where you live. Pat, you're into it because you can't wait to see the outrage. It's like all transit matters. It's, it's, it's whatever's in my backyard. Yeah. Here's what we forget. that The rest of the world is a lab for what works in big cities and what doesn't. And, and sometimes when we invent something in New York, it's actually highly successful elsewhere. And we're just so focused on our own world that we, that we are surprised that it works. Yeah. We're just treading water, trying to catch up to everyone else. We're not going above and beyond and looking at what is the future of transportation in a big city. Yeah. So on that note, what do you, what do you think is the future of transportation? If you were doing a two-camera opinion piece, what what would you say to your to your viewers? What I what I think will happen is different than what I hope will happen. I would love to live in this city where. The subways are super reliable. I would love to live in this city where getting on and off a train at Penn Station is orderly and efficient and not frightening or at the last possible second before the train. I would love to live in this city where no matter where we live, we could commute easily to and from work, not worry about being late or paying four times the amount to take an Uber because we can't bear to deal with a subway delay. I'm not sure if we have the right people and funding to make all of that happen, but that's sort of like the dream SimCity version of the future. We have to come up with a plan that more efficiently allocates this scarce public resource of roadways and allocates it between bicycle lanes and bus lanes and oh, maybe we could reclaim some of it for a place to sit and enjoy the sunlight 
so we as as a, a city have to figure out better ways to use that space to move the maximum number of people around or come up with things that require that people don't travel as far every day for for what they're doing the absurdity of the the people who who are doing two-hour commutes why why are why are we doing that and at who's it's one thing when they're on the train but two-hour driving commutes then you're complaining that the the Lincoln Tunnel is backed up <laughs> I think Polly Trott first come on our morning show and and you know, repeatedly said, "If you're stuck in traffic, you are the traffic." You are the traffic. <laughs> Polly, write that on my tombstone. You guys sound more like radicals every day. I'm just sitting here listening. I'm, <laughs> I'm the radical bike activist. You guys are the reporters. <laughs> no, but you and your people, for lack of a better word, have done, a, I think, a really good job of showing us some of the abuse, some of the outrage, some of how it can be better in a way that I sometimes wouldn't have seen otherwise. I didn't know until I saw the Stroller for Safe Streets rally this weekend that in Norway, not a single child died in a traffic crash last year, not one. We talked a little bit about, Jamie, your cycling opinions. Pat, what about yours? You, you bike a lot. You've done a lot of sports cycling, too, right? Yeah, I I have a road bike, and, you know, my wife and I dragged the kids to a cycling hotel in Italy two summers ago to, to do more kilometers of travel than either of them had ever hoped to. <laughs> and and I, I am a confident cyclist. Yeah. And a safe one. Yeah, yeah, I I think it is a great part of the transportation mix in the city. I'm not the person who who is is gonna embrace the idea of a bicycle commute every day. Um, partly because of the hours I work, partly because of what I'm wearing to work. Uh, but I am the person who keeps a city bike membership and when you you know, after, after work, if I need to get up to Penn Station, I mean, what, what better way to do it than to walk out to Ninth Avenue, grab a city bike, pedal over to Eighth, go up the bike line to Penn Station. You can be there in 12 minutes, zooming by cars that are are stuck in the 30s. That for me is the ideal part of bicycling in the city not a full-on commute but it's part of the mix it's a little faster than walking and uh, a lot cheaper than flagging a cab will there ever be a moment when pedestrian cyclists and drivers agree on what should be done with bike lanes Never, i don't think so ever <laughs> ever and after they spend that money will the problem be solved probably not no, because somebody would be parked in the bike lane. Right, you'll still have people walking in the bike lane and parking in the uh, bike lane, and it's just no one can get it right. Uh, the, the Times Square, uh, 8th Avenue, 7th Avenue bike lanes, continually, people are walking so the bikes can't go and the bikes get mad. And, and people walk right into the road there. When they, where they don't know the bikes are coming. Yeah. No wind there. So where are we now? We're all the way at the East River. Yeah. 
Sorry guys, this is going to LaGuardia. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, are you sure we're on the right yeah. bus? Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back in time for your on-air tomorrow morning, don't worry. Yeah, you're going from never having been on the bus to doing the whole thing. Wait, you've been on a bus before. No, no, this bus, this bus. <laughs> this bus. <laughs> yes, to be clear, this bus. Nobody, nobody checked our tickets. Well, I, I think uh, I've only been spot checked in all my select bus trips. I've been spot checked twice. I've never been checked. Really? Not once. Not once. What's your mix of transit versus bike uh, versus private vehicle? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I am definitely the bike guy on Twitter and in my advocacy a lot, but I would say it's like 75% of the time, well, in addition to walking, I'm, I'm on the train more than anything. Because um, I'm going out with friends or that's how my wife and I are getting to go places or I'm taking the kids somewhere. So I'd say cycling is actually a real minority of my trips. I'm on the bus a lot. I take the bus up and down Fifth Avenue in Park Slope a lot. I've become a real bus fan in the last couple of years. I think as the advocacy surrounding the bus has changed, I've noticed it more and I've become more of a secret supporter, maybe not so secret, of the bus. Because I think it is, to me, this is a great example of, it's the key to unlocking massive transportation changes, more than biking. I think that's why the 14th Street Busway was so important because we, we've talked about it on the podcast that it's a bus and it moves fast from one side of the city to the other. It's not revolutionary in any sort of international way, but yet the reaction to it made it seem like it was. <laughs> and that was really fun to watch because I think a lot of what we're doing, you know, a lot of my activism is often pointing out, here's this thing that's broken, you need to fix it. And instead it was, here's this thing that you fixed and it works. And that was really kind of a fun new angle for a lot of us. <laughs> no, but there's still the, the drivers who are, you've ruined 14th Street. That just last week, oh, there's, there's the businesses saying that because there aren't as many people driving by in their cars and or because people aren't waiting for the buses for as long, our, our, our retail traffic isn't as busy. And what, I, I, look, I feel for small business yeah. in New York City right now, retail business in particular, but, but your business can't be built on having terribly long waiting times for buses. Based on how bad traffic is. Right. Like a, a pizza joint is probably not relying on a whole lot of drive up traffic. <laughs> oh. I'm going to cut at First Avenue and 14th and, and get on the L. I'm going to hop out at Union Square, get on the queue. Wait, he's I'm, leaving me. Oh my god, you'll be abandoned on the 14D. <laughs> the irony, your first time on the new bus, and uh, we're going to leave you alone. All the way back to Chelsea. I didn't know what was going Where's on Where's the here. guy with his music when you need him? <laughs> so I'll make a couple of observations yeah. from our time on the bus. We, we must have seen 200 passengers come and go. I mean, this, this bus has not been standing room but it's been almost all seats occupied at various stages and we're we're starting to fill up again here which is proof that if you have something that works people will find their way to it thank you both for joining us on the war on cars on the m14 final thoughts i think this was good this is a good venue for the interview I better, think this was perfect. Better than a conference room somewhere. <laughs> oh, absolutely. A studio. This is great. <laughs> Thank you for having us. My pleasure. 
That's it for this episode of The War on Cars. A big thanks to Pat Kiernan and Jamie Stelter for taking time out of their busy schedules to ride the bus with me. You can catch them both on Mornings on One on Spectrum News New York One. And speaking of Crosstown buses, you should also check out Pat's podcast, Crosstown with Pat Kiernan. You can support The War on Cars by going to thewaroncars.org and clicking on support. Make a Patreon contribution and we will send you stickers, t-shirts, and more. Please rate and review us by going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find us. Thanks to our top sponsors, Charlie G. of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, the Law Office of Akara and White in New York City, and Huck and Elizabeth Finney. Also, big thanks to Spin Scooters for its support. This episode was produced and edited by me, and the intro and outro were recorded by Ross Brunetti at Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. I'm Doug Gordon. And on behalf of Aaron Nampersek and Sarah Goodyear, this is The War on Cars. <laughs>